This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey movie addicts and welcome to Cinema Fix. We are back. This is Andrew, and uh, before I play this week's episode, I want to give you a quick heads up on what the situation is with Cinema Fix and what you can expect from the show in the future. Now, if you've been following the show, you might have noticed we disappeared. We went on a surprise four-month hiatus. In our last episode, uh, back in April, Frank and I discussed Iron Man and said that we were going to analyze all of Marvel's superhero films leading up to our episode on The Avengers. Obviously, that never happened, so let me uh, quickly explain what went down. Um, As some of you may know, Frank and I recently obtained our master's degrees in art journalism from Syracuse University, and last spring was our final semester, and to make a long story short, things got super busy. They got really crazy and hectic, especially after South by Southwest. One thing led to another, and Frank ended up not being able to continue doing the show. The scheduling was just too complicated, and he had some, some personal things pop up, And we were both stressed, and it was starting to affect the quality of the show. Uh, For example, we went to see that movie, uh, Mirror, Mirror, and we recorded an episode on it, and and that was supposed to be our our next episode. But I was listening back to the show, and, and you could just tell our hearts weren't really into it, so... Unfortunately, that episode ended up not being released, and uh, Frank ended up leaving Film Geek Radio to pursue other things. Uh, We wish him the best, but as a result, we had to take an unexpected hiatus. However, we are back now. We are going to resume broadcasting episodes of Cinema Fix, all about the latest mainstream blockbuster films on a weekly basis. And I'm going to be joined by a new co-host. Her name is Monica Castillo, and she has written for a variety of outlets, including the Boston Phoenix. Now, if you visited the website, you may have noticed that Monica has been developing a show for Film Geek Radio called Off the Cliff over the past year. And it's a show that's supposed to focus on feminist film criticism. Now, we've got uh, a few new shows starting over the next month or two, but unfortunately that show has gone through development hell, and we've been forced to put it on the back burner for now. Hopefully Off the Cliff will eventually come together in the future, because I think that's a fantastic idea for a podcast. But for now, instead of doing Off the Cliff, Monica will be joining me as a regular co-host on Cinema Fix. And we are glad to have her. She's a good friend of mine, and she knows a lot about movies, so I'm sure that we're going to have some great discussions. Now, as a means of transitioning into this new era of Cinema Fix, I'm posting this episode of the show. I guess you could call it a quote-unquote lost episode. This episode was actually recorded months ago, shortly after South by Southwest, when Monica and I had both seen uh, The Cabin in the Woods, the Drew Goddard-directed, Joss Whedon-produced horror film. We recorded an episode about it, but then with all the chaos going on and the uncertainty about the future of Cinema Fix at the time, I ended up not posting it. I wrote a review of the film for the website, which you can find there, but I didn't post this conversation because I wanted to wait and see how things turned out with the network and with Cinema Fix in particular. But now that everything is sorted out and Monica is on board for the foreseeable future, I thought I should probably go ahead and release this, especially since The Cabin in the Woods just came out on DVD this week. You can find it now in retail outlets, and it's available to rent online, so check it out. And then listen to this episode of Cinema Fix and let us know what you think of the film. 
this is a little bit different from regular episodes of Cinema Fix in that usually I break up the episodes into two parts, a spoiler-free discussion and a spoiler-filled discussion. But for the purposes of this transition episode, I've just put them together in the same file with a little musical break between them. Also, we ended up having to record this episode over Skype, so at times the audio is a bit low quality, especially on Monica's end. I apologize for that, but everything should be pretty understandable. Monica and I will begin recording regular episodes of the show this weekend, starting off with the film Trouble with the Curve with Clint Eastwood, and also possibly End of Watch, the Jake Gyllenhaal cop film. We'll see. So anyways, that's the story behind what happened with Cinema Fix and what's going to be happening with the show in the future. I hope you'll join me and Monica for the next iteration of the show. And in the meantime, enjoy this quote-unquote lost episode, so to speak, on The Cabin in the Woods. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by a very special guest, Monica Castillo. Hello. Monica, you write for the Boston Phoenix, right? I do. That is pretty awesome. It is. I enjoy it very much. (laughs) Yes. Uh, People can find uh, Monica's film criticism at thephoenix.com slash Boston. And uh, this is Cinema Fix, and this is a show on Film Geek Radio focused on in-depth discussion of mainstream blockbuster films. We are here to satisfy your addiction to quality conversation about the movies. And how it works, if this is your first time listening, is that each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part, which you're listening to right now, is a 10-minute long spoiler-free review of whatever big movie we're discussing that week. That way you can get a general idea of what we thought and whether or not it's worth your time. The second part is a much more in-depth analytical discussion that does contain spoilers where we really analyze what did and didn't work about the film. So if you've seen the film and you want a more in-depth discussion, go ahead and check out part two. And this week, the film that we're going to be discussing is The Cabin in the Woods. Monica, this is a pretty highly anticipated film, at least within the online geek community. (laughs) <laughs> so for all of 300 of us online. Yes. So why, why don't you uh, give our listeners a little information about the film and, and, and just what it's about? <laughs> well, why most of the internet is uh, kind of freaking out about it. It's uh, producer Joss Whedon's co-written script and um, his Buffy the Vampire Slayer collaborator, Drew Goddard, directed and also co-wrote uh, Cabin in the Woods, which is a Fun little horror movie send up, I think, with, you know, sort of a lot of the original trappings of like a good horror movie, you know, the creepy remote location and the creepy sort of monsters. Well, why don't don't you give us a brief one sentence plot synopsis? Plot synopsis. Oh, that's hard. I know. It's hard. Uh, This is a movie that's tough to talk about without spoiling. So we'll, we'll, we'll do our best. So many layers. Damn it, Joss Whedon. Basically, it's about a cabin in the woods. It, it is about a cabin in the woods, and I, I, I would say that it is a send-up of your stereotypical cabin in the scary woods. So, teenagers go there and die, basically. That, Essentially. That's basically. Typical yes. slasher, you get your blood slasher plot. 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, without revealing too much, needless to say, it's not that's not just what it's about. But we'll talk about that a, a little bit more in our review. Here's a clip. I don't think there's gonna be any going here running by you. Dude. Time says closed. If we were looking to buy some gas. We also wanted to get directions? Yeah, we're looking for, uh, what's it called? Tillerman Road. I've seen plenty come and go. Now I've been here since the war. Which war? You know damn well which war. Would that have been with the blue and some in gray? Sassing me, boy. You were rude to my friend. That whore. What'd you say? I think we got enough gas. We got enough to get you there. Getting back. That's your concern. So, Monica, what did you think of the cabin in the woods? Without revealing any spoilers, what 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 did you think overall? Would you recommend that people see this film? I would recommend that people see this film if they do like the horror genre. I obviously wouldn't recommend my mother to go see this film, but it is definitely something that is enjoyable for those of us, not only who the hardcore go and see every single horror movie that comes out on, you know, Christmas Day or, you know, the sort of the trashy horror that comes out, but also just anyone who kind of likes a good old-fashioned scary story. See, you use that word scary, and you mentioned that you wouldn't want your mother to see it. But I'm not even sure I would call this a scary movie. I feel like even if you're not really into horror films, you might still enjoy this film just because it is a little bit tongue-in-cheek. It is kind of poking fun at the conventions of the genre. I mean, it's essentially, it's basically this generation's scream. Um... Yeah, those are some big shoes to fill. Um, I would say it is very smart. Actually, the comparison to Scream would, would be possibly apt. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's definitely you can't lazily just watch it and ex you know expect everything to sort of I guess fall into place. It's much more fun if you put the pieces together on your own while you're watching the film and like with the characters. Well, the reason I bring up Scream is that that was the first quote unquote horror film that was kind of postmodern and kind of meta and that it was very self-referential and acknowledged the fact that most of these slasher films and these horror films have certain rules that they follow. And I, I feel like Cabin in the Woods is a movie for people who have seen Scream at, at, or at the very least know what those rules are. It doesn't really directly state what the rules are. It just sort of assumes that you know them. And well, that's why I said like people who have seen horror enough horror film to recognize like the the sort of tropes, the you know you know who's going to die first sort of right. the clues and stuff like that. Yeah, I would say it's it's definitely just having fun with those formulas and with those cliches. And honestly, I think it's kind of questioning why those cliches exist and why they're there and that was the part of the film i found most interesting is that it's it's this is going to be a weird comparison to make and i'm i'm going to explain this a little bit more in part two but i felt like it was a much more light-hearted mainstream version of something like funny games if you've seen funny games 
Uh, I mean, Funny Games is, I, I think of it as an anti-horror film in the sense that it's designed to irritate you and make you question why you are even watching horror films. Yeah. And I feel like Cabin in the Woods is trying to do that as well, but also allow you to have a good time. Yeah. Um, that's actually pretty fair, because the violence isn't over the top. It's not what we're used to in the latest Saw film or right. the horror that is the human centipede. Oh, right. It's it's not that kind. That's why I like the more of the old-fashioned sort of horror genre, where it's still pretty tame, and it's, a, it's based on a lot of moralistic ground and a sort of, well, non, in non-spoilery terms, you know who's going to die first because of the way they behave. Right, right. Yeah. And I, I like how self-referential it is. And I like the fact that it's trusting the audience's intelligence enough to keep up with what it's making fun of and what it's referencing. And, you know, if, if people have seen the trailers, Mm -hmm. then they know that it's not just a movie about kids trapped in a cabin in the woods getting killed. That kind of makes me sad. This is actually one of those movies that I would recommend. Like, don't bother seeing the trailer beforehand. Oh, I, I would agree. Just go in as blind as humanly possible. Yeah, I, I, I had no idea what this movie was about, except that it was produced by Joss Whedon, and it was called The Cabin in the Woods. And I was totally surprised, totally blown away. And I think even if you go in knowing that it's not your typical slasher film, there are enough surprises and there, there, there is enough to think about and there are enough sort of intellectual twists to sort of keep you engaged and to, mm-hmm. to really surprise you. I don't think people are going to expect what happens. I don't think people are going to walk in and be able to predict the ending of this movie. And I should hope not. I mean, that's what nice and refreshing about this film. Right. And which is why, which is why we should also tell people don't read reviews. <laughs> I, I... Uh, yeah, I, I can't believe as a critic I have to tell people, like, actually don't read what people have to say about this film. Just just go. There are way too many critics out there, especially ones that seem to not who have enjoyed the film, uh, who are just... Ruin the party for everybody yeah, else. Yeah, they're, they're just spoiling everything, even up to mm-hmm. the last shot of the movie. I'm, I'm kind of stunned at the lack of professionalism on display oh, in, regards, in regards to reviews of this movie. And it's really funny because I, I, well, we saw the movie at South by Southwest. And when I was there for interviews, they actually had studio reps in the same room telling everybody, you can't write about this. And when we had the round table with Joss Whedon, every question that had to deal with the ending or so, he would actually say, I'm going to answer it, but you can't write about it. It was very clear about keeping the lid on this. For good reason. Oh, completely. Like, it's a, it's a very fun twist. I wouldn't want it spoiled for me. I'm really sad that these people have taken it upon themselves to let the cat out of the bag, if you will. Um, so it's very sad, especially for very well-established critics who know, especially for something like this, where a lot of a lot of the fun rides on the twist. Why would you take that out of the roller coaster? Or why would you take that out of your movie? Right. And, you know, I can understand why, why some people don't like the film. I think it's very much a movie for this sort of geeky, self-referential, postmodern generation. That's fine. I mean, I like plenty. I don't like plenty of movies on a weekly basis, but it doesn't mean I have to, you know, I can rain on the parade of why I didn't like it, but I don't have to go on the plot points. I agree. Is what I'm, yeah. I also don't like synopsis 
critics anyways. Right. I agree. There's there's no excuse for spoiling the movie, but I can I can see why this movie might not be for everybody. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like I liked it enough and I feel like it's unique enough that people should give it a chance. Even if even if you're not normally a fan of horror films, I would say give this one a shot. It's a it's a fun movie. I think it would be a great date movie. And I think it would inspire a lot of discussion afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I would say I, I would highly recommend that people just go check it out. I don't want to re- say anything else about it before we talk spoilers. I'm just going to say go see it, give it a chance, and write in and let us know what you think of it. Do you have anything you want to add? I guess the uh, another thing that I found sort of interesting coming out on the same weekend is the movie Detention. I know you keep going a lot to self-reference. Oh, yeah. Because um, that's, that's more of a spoof comedy than um, a sort of a twist on the horror genre. But it plays a lot of, with the same themes, and it's very heavily influenced by references oh, and yeah. throwbacks to the 90s. I sat with two older critics who didn't quite appreciate it as much as I did. I fell in love with it, but it's it's kind of weird that these two are coming out on the same weekend. Yeah. So I guess if you're more of a comedy person, there's this other alternative Det- <laughs> that you can enjoy. See, Detention, I can totally understand why people wouldn't like that film. I thought it went a bit too far mm-hmm. for my taste. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. In terms of just the the meta self-referential in, in terms of that detention is basically like king <laughs> cuz it is so <laughs> over the top and it it's so all over it's the so place. So fun. Yeah, it's that's <laughs> I couldn't believe they had that movie. <laughs> that's such a, a weird movie. I would say, you know, if you if you don't like Cabin in the Woods, you definitely won't like Detention. But if you've seen Detention and you like Detention, I'd say Cabin in the Woods is probably right up your alley. Mm-hmm. It, it's 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 definitely more palatable, I think, for mainstream audiences. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about Cabin in the Woods? No, let's get into spoilers. All right. This is your first time listening. You should know that this is the show on Film Geek Radio focused on in-depth discussion of mainstream blockbuster films. We are here to satisfy your addiction to quality conversation about the movies. And each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is where we give our general thoughts on whatever big mainstream release we're talking about that week. And the second part, which you're listening to right now, is a much more in-depth analytical discussion that does contain spoilers. So if you don't want to hear us really dive into the movie and you don't, and if you haven't seen the film and you don't want us to spoil it for you, listen to part one. Don't listen to this part. Bad idea. This week, the movie we're talking about is The Cabin in the Woods. It's about a cabin in the woods. It's about a cabin in the woods, but it's so much more than the cabin. Right, but it's about teenagers that go to the cabin in the woods and get killed. The cabin itself is a metaphor, man. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about that in a little bit. (laughs) But yeah, basically, it's a slasher film in which teenagers go to the cabin in the woods and get killed. So, and it's like every other slasher film, right, Monica? No. (laughs) No, okay. All right, well, here's a clip. Truth or dare? Dana. Truth. What's that supposed to mean? Well, I'm just skipping ahead. You're going to say dare, she's going to dare you to do something you don't like, and then you'll puss out and say that you wanted truth all along. Really? Okay, 
Jules, there. What the hell was that? It's the cellar door. The wind must have blown open. Uh, that makes what kind of sense? What do you think's down there? Why don't we find out? Dana. I dare you. All right, Monica. Now... You can tell from the very beginning that this is not going to be your typical slasher film. Oh, completely. Because of two reasons. One, Richard Jenkins. And two, Bradley Whitford. Perfect. Done. What are they doing in a teenage slasher film? Show's over. We figured it out. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, from the very opening scene where it's just these two guys in some sort of factory or some sort of company just talking about their day and what's going on in Japan. They're not saying what's going on in Japan. It's just kind of like, what is going on here? Oh, I love I love the beginning for that because it's such a disconnect. It feels like two different movies yes. at one point. And then when everything car crashes together, basically, you're kind of, it kind of takes you a minute to take it all in. Because it was like, wow, that's really brilliant. <laughs> yeah, if you go into this movie just expecting it to be about teenagers in the woods, you're going to be kind of thrown off from the very beginning. Oh, yeah. You just have to go in with an I mean, it's really, you have to go in with an open mind and just say yes to everything that happens on the screen. Right. I, did, I, I had no idea what was happening, but I was kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go with it. This isn't what I was expecting. And it's really brilliantly written in how... They gradually reveal pieces of this puzzle. Mm -hmm. And I never felt like the filmmakers were talking down to me or were keeping too much information from me or, or being too vague. I always felt like, you know, they were giving me just enough information mm -hmm. where I could kind of get a grasp as to what was happening, but I wanted to know more. Yeah, they're definitely like little bit of breadcrumbs along the way so they don't completely lose you which I think is very important, especially when the rabbit hole goes as far as it goes in Cabin in the Woods. It's very nice that it's actually constructed enough to explain things to you without having to do to stop everything and actually explain the movie to you. <laughs> yes, I mean, it, it definitely treats the audience with respect and is like, you know what, you're smart, you can keep up, mm -hmm. you, you'll, you'll figure it out. And sh shall we just go ahead and reveal what the big mystery is? I mean, this is part two. We, we can talk spoilers. Yeah, this is after you've seen the movie. <laughs> yeah. So if you haven't seen the film, stop listening right now because we're about to spoil everything for you. But basically, the big, the big twist is that, you know, this cabin in the woods is actually this very elaborately designed plan set up by this corporation to put these kids in this cabin and to make them be attacked by some sort of monster mm -hmm. so that they will die. And then the blood of these teenagers is used to satisfy these ancient gods to keep them from destroying the planet. Yep. And when I say that, that sounds really dumb. <laughs> it sounds terrible. Like, what ancient gods that have to be satisfied what i this, this because obviously stupid. the titans were so popular we'll just throw them in every movie yes yes 
but the way they present it and the way it's executed, it actually is really cool. Um, and it actually has, is pretty profound <laughs> in, in a weird sort of way. Again, it's, it's a lot deeper than what you would take it for, especially as, as being part of the horror movie genre. Right. Where it's pretty straightforward. Slasher kills people. Right. There's one person to stand up and say, no, Slasher, you will not kill me and end up, you know, defeating the Slasher. Right. So why don't, why don't you start off and just tell me, tell me what you responded to in the film and what you really liked about it and, and, and what you came away with. Oh, there's so much. I was still thinking about it and discussing it with you, even as we were walking out of the theater later that night after other friends of mine had seen it. It was like, okay, we need to talk about this. At first, I was looking into the sort of the religious aspect of it. You see, I remember you bringing that up, and I didn't pick up on that. Talk to me about that. Tell me about your your sort of religious interpretation of the film. Well, it, it does have to do a little bit with my background knowledge on Joss Whedon, who I know is a really big secular humanist and is not a fan of traditional religion, but he does acknowledge its presence, which is unusual for people who usually are into secular humanism, I feel. Right. Um, but because even in his work on television and Firefly, he has the priest as one of the main characters. So in here, the fact that it's there's all these sacrifice for a sort of religious order and that there's gods to be fed by the blood of young people, you know, my eyebrows kind of raised. And then there were a lot of scenes that um, kind of got me going. Like there's uh, one where they had the party scene celebrating um, the fact that they had accomplished their mission or so they killed all the, all the kids they needed to. Uh, and they were having a sort of Christmas party. Right. And, and my thing is like, there's war in the background you know, they actually have a murder on the television. It's uh, one of the zombies, or I think it's killed. I was like attempting to kill the uh, smart girl on, on the riverbanks or so. And they're just, you know, they're actually celebrating breaking open bottles of champagne and, you know, toasting to the carnage. See, I, I, I didn't pick up on the Christmas vibe of that scene, but I can, I can understand how a religious interpretation might enter the picture just in terms of the idea of predestination and the idea that there's this force out there that is controlling everything, pulling the strings and everything that happens out in the woods in the cabin has basically, well, you think you're isolated, right? You think you're isolated. You think you're just out there on your own, but actually there's some higher power, so to speak, pulling the strings and all of these terrible things that happen are part of a bigger plan. And there was also, you know, they actually, whatever they went down to a basement and whatever item they chose would be the monster that would come and attack them. Um, even though you quote unquote, choose your own fate the fate was still the same. Murder, their death was going to be the ultimate end. Right. Plus there was a whole, you know, the sacrificial lamb. I don't know. I'm, I I definitely jumped into this way farther than... The sacrificial lamb? What, <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, just, you know, the, the blood of young. Okay, right, right. Yeah. The blood, of, the blood of innocence being used to save the world, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. See, I didn't interpret that... I didn't read that as a religious comment. And then I also, the other, the, I'm sorry, the, the last, I mean, there's a lot that I read into it, but the last two that are standing is the man and the woman, Adam and Eve. Oh, I never even thought of that. I, I went to town on that. <laughs> so Adam and Eve ushering in the world's destruction, essentially, 
as opposed to, or you could agree, you could just say it is that it's Adam and Eve ushering in the birth of a new world, of a new creation. Could be, I mean, that would be the hopeful right. thing that I would have liked to have seen, but obviously, um, the their interpretation was this was the end of the world, so they were actually ushering in the end of time. Right, it's a very pessimistic ending in which humanity is wiped out. Mm-hmm. But it's oddly hopeful in the sense that it kind of views that as a good thing. <laughs> I feel like. Well, because then otherwise the circle would continue. Right. Um, And the thing I found most interesting about the film is that I viewed it more as a commentary on movies and entertainment, similar to funny games, and that it's it's sort of questioning why do we have this bloodlust and this need to view innocent people die on screen? Yeah, which was, I found out later, the filmmaker's actual intention. So, okay. <laughs> kudos, you figured it out. I mean, I mean, that's, it seemed very obvious to me. Just it, yeah. from the very beginning, when they enter the cabin and there's that two way mirror they find yeah. for no reason where mm-hmm. one of them can look through and see someone on the other side without them knowing. And I saw that and was like, oh, it's like a movie screen basically it's this is a thing it's all about voyeurism and how we watch other people and the link between sex and violence and you know you've got these people pulling the strings you've got this mysterious company making all these things happen Mm -hmm. um and you've and they're surrounded by all these monitors and all Mm -hmm. these television screens so they can watch these horrible things happen and 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 they treat it very nonchalantly like oh yeah this is this just has to happen this person just has to die and they're so desensitized to it Mm -hmm. that i i felt like it was definitely critiquing our use of violence as entertainment is is there anything you wanted to add about that no i'll let you keep it okay (laughs) i probably had something profound i lost it it's okay well see i kind of feel like it's this scathing critique of mankind in the sense that it's basically saying we're we've been violent throughout history we have this desire to view violence as entertainment and it's it's kind of questioning well maybe we don't deserve to be alive if that's (laughs) if that's our philosophy everybody dies yes it's it's sort of it's basically you know at, at the very end when it's revealed oh we have to kill people or it's going to upset these ancient gods that have this bloodlust or whatever, and they'll take over. I was, I was kind of thinking to myself, okay, well, obviously this is a movie, and we know that isn't true. Yet we still kill each other anyway, and we still make all this violent stuff to be entertained by, and we are still turned on and delighted by destruction and watching ourselves kill each other in the movies. So the the movie seemed to me to be arguing, well, maybe we deserve to be wiped out if this is how we are as a species. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, again, it's just one of those things that I ha- it deals with a lot. I don't know. Would you say that the, the characters that they choose to explore that or critique that being as, 
you know, representative of our species. And we're just, it falls into the trappings of the horror movie trope along with the cabin in the woods in order to sort of disguise the, I guess, the movie within the movie. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's, I think okay. it's asking one, why do we make movies like this where we mm-hmm. go to be entertained by people dying and people getting killed? That's kind of sick and disgusting. You know, as it, as they sort of ex- go over in the film, you know, these are just kids and they're innocent. But the fact that they 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 doom themselves by taking something or seeing something or reciting a certain passage from a book, and that's supposedly this terrible sin for which they deserve to die in the philosophy of horror films. The characters that are chosen to be sacrificed are those who have committed some sort of sin that, especially the ones that are chosen first, which is the, what was it? I'm not going to call her a slut, but the harlot, oh, and not. Um, and then the, the boy who's also looking for sex, you know, those, because again, going back to what the seventies or so, those who were promiscuous sixties, probably those who were promiscuous were the ones that would obviously get the ax first. Right. If you have premarital sex, you die. In slasher movies, oh yeah, it's it's the Mean Girls quote: "Don't have sex or you die." But those are those are obviously the first choice, and then everybody else suffers because of something else that they've done. Um, the fool is obviously the stoner, and I think the other guy was just the wrong place at the wrong time. But he he committed some sin by being there. You know, it's very it starts becoming very inconsequential, and then the virgin is like the optional one. Um, and she's the smart girl. Right. Well, it, well, it's interesting because they have that one scene in the film where they're all down in the basement. Uh-huh. And it's clearly a reference to the evil dead. Just this basement there in the cabin. Yeah. That they're all down there and they they have to find something. And all of them find an object. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and it's, what, depending on what object is ultimately chosen, well, that determines how they are killed off. <laughs> Mm-hmm. essentially. And they sort of reference that at the end when they're like, you know, you chose your fate by reading this book or by picking up this object. This is what damns you, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of questioning that kind of like, well, really? Do they really deserve to die for that? Yeah. What great slight against the universe is that? Um, so I feel like the filmmakers were basically arguing that, one, that's a stupid reason to kill someone, even if it's only in a movie. And I also kind of feel like, to some extent, they were acknowledging the fact that there is real-world violence out there that is serious, and maybe we shouldn't... I I felt like it was kind of making the argument that that violence in media can desensitize us to real-world violence, or maybe that there is a correlation between the two. To an extent, I guess, especially since we see, we go back to the scientists and they're actually, like, again, they're throwing the party while they have this murder scene on the background. And right. it's actually a real girl being murdered by a zombie monster. Um, or, you know, we're supposed to believe. But they're actually, you know, toasting champagne and things like that, having a grand old time. Right. And then it's, it, I, I think it's great how at the end they have, they bring it, they bring out Sigourney Weaver as the director. Yeah, that's a big reveal. She's the ultimate uh, sort of feminist heroine icon. 
mm-hmm. for, for, for people that are familiar with horror films just because she was the star of Alien. Um, and she's basically the director of everything. And I felt like it was interesting how they sort of, they take this actress who's associated with being the one who survives. Yeah. And they throw her in the role of the person who's basically like, no, you all need to die. Sorry, teenage girl. Sorry, young woman who's basically the role that I played in my movies. But you can't, <laughs> you can't survive. <laughs> you have to die. I didn't even think about it like that. But, um, no, I thought it was great that they brought in, I guess, oh, well, maybe this is more for nerd culture. But, you know, it's another of our icons or heroes up there on the screen. You right. know, what better way to wink, wink, nudge, nudge you guys. Right. And you have that mo- that big moment at the end where you- you're wondering, like, are they going to kill themselves? Mm-hmm. Because if they both die, mm-hmm. you know, they can they can end everything. They can end the chaos. Everything will go back to normal. Humankind will be saved if we can just if they just die. And they basically say can come to the conclusion that no. We're not going to do that. Mankind, we, if, if we've reached this point mm-hmm. where we're having to sacrifice innocent people to, quote-unquote, save the world, then we don't, need to, they don't, we don't deserve to be saved, essentially. Yeah. And I, it just, I just was, it was, it's just such a pessimistic worldview that I wasn't expecting. I, I see, and that was another point where I saw the whole religion aspect of it, where it was two people faced with a sort of proof of an existence of a god, and they say, no, nah, not really. <laughs> what, what you, you think that you think they were denying the existence of these gods they were not denying the existence of these gods but they're not going to follow what sort of like the high priestess if you will Sigourney Weaver is saying for them to do which is sacrifice themselves to right. this deity but to see in essence they are <laughs> they're just doing it a different way they are going to die I mean they are going to die but they're going to take everybody else with them right mm-hmm. right they're not going to die for your sins Sorry. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it, it seems to be saying that if we if we expect if we have this idea that through death and through destruction and by killing each other, even if it's just for if, if we reach the point where we view that as entertainment, it's not true that violence can be uh, redemptive. And maybe we should we should all just die. That for people who don't like horror movies, maybe they should be spared. <laughs> maybe i don't know i just felt like really bad at the end of the movie in a good way i felt like wow that was really fun and now i hate the human condition <laughs> that was the best fun about a movie in which everybody dies <laughs> yes it, it really is and i mean it's it's a movie about the monsters we fear mm-hmm. when the true monsters are ourselves right and it's about the monsters we've created mm-hmm. coming back to kill us. Fair. I, I, I can think of few scenes as memorable as the sequence in which, you know, they finally uncover the secret. Uh, th- th- at the very end, they're traveling through the factory and they see all these horror monsters. And then next thing you know, all of these monsters are unleashed and are killing everybody. Also, that, yeah, I have to say that's one of my favorite scenes because it... It really makes you feel like you're watching a whole other movie from what you started. And, you know, these kids going off to a cabin in the woods for, like, summer or spring break. And now you're in this weird elevator shaft and 
where where like every single movie monster ever. And and some new imaginative ones. I I really like the little ballerina girl with like a thousand teeth. Like that's horrifying. Yes. Yes. I will have to say it's nothing in the realm of Guillermo del Toro's, you know, sort of weird stuff, but you know, it's still it's still fun. It yeah, it, it's just so much fun because you're kind of like, oh, that's a cool monster. Oh, that's a cool monster. Oh, I can't believe I'm seeing all of these really fun monsters in one movie. Mm-hmm. And yet, at this at the end of the day, the movie's kind of like, well, you shouldn't be having a good time. It's one of those movies that's trying to have its cake and eat it too, but I kind of think it succeeds. It could have easily fallen on its face by trying to encompass so much and trying to be self-criticizing or so. Um, with it could have been preachy, and you, it doesn't feel like that. I, th- you know, it could have gone the funny games route mm-hmm. of basically saying to make sure you understand that you're not supposed to be enjoying a movie like this. We're gonna really irritate you. Yeah. And do everything we can to make you real question why you're watching this movie. This movie was ba- Cabin in the Woods is basically like, well, we're going to allow you to have a good time, but we're also going to make you wonder why you're having such a good time mm-hmm. and whether or not that's a good thing. Good thing, yeah. Good thing? Question mark. Yeah, Cabin in the Woods seems to be arguing that in a perfect world, nobody would go see Cabin in the Woods. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, nobody would want to go see teenagers get killed in a perfect world. Uh, Here's a question for you. Why do you think the only two people left at the end are the smart girl and the stoner? Um. Oh, and can I just say, by the way, that Fran Kranz as the stoner? Yes. He's great. Oh, he is great. He's a fun stoner. He was was in Dollhouse, which Mm -hmm. was the show that Joss Whedon created for Fox a few years ago, and he was... Great on that show, and he's fantastic in this movie. He has such a really good sense of uh, comedic timing. Yeah, and I think I think that's kind of what you needed with all this serious stuff going on. You needed a little bit of levity without it, so it doesn't go over the top into over dramatics or you know super serious horror. Someone that the the female lead, the smart girl, um, she wouldn't just be the only one screaming, mm-hmm. and it's. And it's fun at the end when they get pitted against each other. Right. Because then it's even a twist that you don't expect, like, oh, wow, you know, she definitely sold him out. I felt like it was almost arguing that, hey, we should all go get high because it'll help us see the strings that are being pulled. Yeah, the puppet master. <laughs> yeah. I know, I mean, obviously the reason why the the quote-unquote virgin girl survives at the end, or the smart girl survives at the end, is because that's the character we all expect to survive. Right, and, and I like how you, you mentioned that it's a, she's a quote-unquote virgin. I, I think that's even what she said. She's like, I'm not a virgin. And, and someone says, like, close enough. Yeah, it's, it's like as close as we can get in this day and age yeah. to a virgin. Yeah. Way to critique our <laughs> social mores. Um yeah, and then I think the reason why the stoner survives at the end is because I don't believe that the fool survives usually in the horror movie genre. And I'm, in, in fact, we actually think he's dead for a good while before he crops up again. It's like, oh, hey, you made it. Right. <laughs> we, thought, we counted you for dead and so did the other guys. <laughs> but at the same time, he's not the fool because he, uh, he, he figures out what's going on. Um, 
of all of them, he's probably the oh, smartest. Well, of all of them, he figures out what's going on. But I meant when the fool, that's the archetype that they cast him in. It's also the sort of Bacchus of excess. Right, that's true. It's more it's more of that. It's more he's the joker, you know, with a glass of wine. Right. Yeah. But in, but in this situation, the Joker turns out to be right about everything. <laughs> and, and again, you know, not usually the case. It's the amusing twist of that adds to the appeal of Cabin in the Woods. Right. Huh. Okay. Well, anything else you want to say about uh, Cabin in the Woods? Mermaids. <laughs> I was about to say the merman, the merman. joke was oh. brilliant. So just the whole scene. So perfect. I think that was the point that just everyone burst out laughing. Yes. Because, yes. again, it's a really pretty heavy film, again, with all the subtext that you were talking about, about self-critiquing the culture and how we enjoy watching this violence, and people do flock to movies like Final Destination 5 and whatnot. And then, then you have these moments where there's a merman that comes up and actually kills a person. <laughs> right. I mean, Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard have said that it's basically their response to torture porn and that idea that, oh, we're going to go to these movies just so we can watch people die and just so we can watch all the blood and watch the creative ways in which we kill each other. Mm -hmm. Um, It's basically their response to that saying, well, that's not a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's a movie about making movies. Yeah. Essentially, in which you have the, I mean, Sigourney Weaver's title is quote unquote, the director. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you have all these different crew members making things work, making explosions go off when they're supposed to go off, yep. making sure that the monster comes out when it's supposed to, making sure every little thing adds up to this experience, which is, in essence, a horror film. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that sequence, by the way, with Chris Hemsworth and the motorcycle? Oh, my gosh. I started laughing so much. <laughs> had, had, you for, had you forgotten? About no, the, I haven't uh, forgotten because I, I remember, like, why would they send the hawk? What's the purpose of this really cheesy-looking hawk just flying in the middle of this void cannon sort of area? Then all of a sudden, you see just a burst of feathers, and you realize that the hawk exploded. Right. <laughs> and so, of course, when he goes straight head first into with all you know nothing, no other support, and just smashes into the wall and slides down. Oh man, that that was that was see it plays with you. It it really because you think no, someone will stop him. He won't die like this. Right, or you think oh something will go wrong, and he'll make it through. Or oh yeah, he'll bust through the barrier. You know right. something they can't. He can't just die with something that we already saw. Oh yes, he can. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. There's so many good ideas floating around this movie. I feel like it's gonna get people talking. I feel like it will. I, I I hope that it that people pick up on these ideas about violence as entertainment, and I hope it causes people to to ask questions about like, well, why do we make movies like this, and mm-hmm. why do we go, and are we as human beings? Do we deserve to live on this planet <laughs> if this is what if this is what we do? Thank you, Joss Whedon. <laughs> All right. Well, um. Monica, I know you haven't been on Cinema Fix before, but we always end the show with a special segment oh, fun. called Reboot This. <laughs> and how it works is that uh, each of us, we, we need to take a few minutes and we're going to pitch either a sequel, a prequel, or a remake of the film we just discussed. So imagine 
you're at a studio, they want you to to pitch a new movie related to Cabin in the Woods. W- would you pitch a sequel, a prequel, or a remake of the movie? And what would happen? Oh, that'd be fun. Oh, well, because the, the critic of me wants to try it as a foreign movie. A foreign <laughs> film. Okay. <laughs> so reboot it in another reboot country. Reboot it as another country. Well, that's interesting because they, they sort of poke fun at uh, – other countries and other styles of horror films. This is true, yeah. They, they specifically looked at Japan, right? Which I thought was funny because we're, we're taking a lot of their stuff for the ring and things like that, right? And in, and in the Jap- it looked like for they showed a clip of like a, in Japan, one of the ghosts, like the stereotypical Japanese ghost, had like turned on everybody and was killing all these kids. It looked like. Yeah, it, uh, the ghost was released in a classroom or so, and then they, the kids actually defeat the ghost by oh, that's right. doing, doing prayers and chanting or whatever, and releasing her spirit is what it was. And then later there was like a shot of Sweden or something in like European horror films, I guess, that factory. Yeah, but they they had already mentioned that they had failed. It was bet- The competition was between the U.S. and Japan. Right, which is interesting because those are the two nations, I think, most widely associated with horror films. Yeah, at least for right now. <laughs> so do you think, I know we're getting off reboot this for a sec, but do you think that they were essentially arguing that the horror genre is dead? Maybe we're tired of these Japanese films? Um, and maybe the only country left that produces okay horror films is the U.S., and now it seems like they're arguing, well, nope, that isn't happening anymore. Oh, that's interesting. No, I haven't. I haven't thought about that. Um, I don't know because then you just had like something like the let uh, let the right one in. Oh, that's true. So I mean, it's not completely dead. Um, don't know if you would consider something like Pan's Labyrinth a horror film, <laughs> right? But um, you know, there's still there's still something to be said for the the cultural imaginations of other other places. So I think that's what I would like to see is not so much just American culture and this, the same tropes that we consider archetypes for us may not be archetypes for other cultures. Okay, so if you, so if you were remaking, a, if you were doing a foreign version of Cabin in the Woods, what would it be like? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I think, actually, that'd be fun to see, to see it actually in, in Japan because that's the other country that they brought in so much. And they, they talk a lot of shit about. That's true. And Japanese horror films are very different from Western horror films. Yes. There, there's like a really, there's different ideas and themes that tend to be focused on a lot different more. Different ideas, different themes, different uh, ways that the characters go about situations. It, even just as something as simple as the timing and the buildup for things. It's, it's not as quick paced, I would say, as American films. Mm-hmm. So that it would be different, you know, to see the, sh- the shoe on the other foot, I guess. Okay. I would make a prequel ah. to Cabin in the Woods. And I would make a, I would make a, 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 a movie about uh, the people who work at the company, mm. who work at this factory, who have to go out and capture all of these monsters to put in, their, <laughs> uh, in the game, in their cages. Fair, fair, yeah. That yeah. could be that could be interesting. It would turn into more. Oh, I don't know if it would still be the horror genre. It would be a little bit more fantasy, maybe. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. 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 Because because you gotta wonder, how did they get all those creatures? Where did they come from? And how did they get them in their cages? 
test tubes, man. Test tubes. Test tubes, you think they made them? Uh, quite possibly. Okay. See, that's what I want to see. If I had to make a prequel, I would want to see how how this company got started. Let's go back. Let's you know what? Let's let's just go back all the way back in time to where these ancient gods were and go. talk about how uh they they how the gods were eventually overcome and how this system of blood sacrifice was devised. Let's let's do that. Let's do like Cabin in the Woods in ancient Greece. There we go. Or something. Mesopotamia. There you go because Greece was all about uh, violence for entertainment as well. Thinking, I mean, if you're thinking back to the Greeks and the Romans and I was gonna say public you know, executions and Romans killing. Definitely more so than Greece because they built the Colosseum. Yeah, yeah. Nero had a thing for sacrificing Christians and you know getting people to the lions for yeah, entertainment. Yeah. yeah, let's let's do let's do uh, instead of cabin in the woods, let's just call it shack in the Roman. Countryside. I don't know. <laughs> and do, yeah, and do do like a prequel related to to Rome. There you go. Send that script over the weed in quick. <laughs> <laughs> now that you're done with the Avengers, yeah. Let's talk about cat. Let's talk about let's talk about Cabin in the Woods too. It's going to be a prequel. I'm sure he'll love it. Okay. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for our discussion of the Cabin in the Woods. We would love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at www.filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to us through iTunes. So if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That will really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate it. Every little bit uh, goes to helping cover our hosting costs and uh, helping us develop new content for the network. So we really appreciate your help. Monica, it's been great having you on. Where can people find your work? Uh, people can find me over at The Phoenix. Uh, once again, it's thephoenix.com slash Boston. I'm also on the Dig Weekly website. Uh, it's another alt-weekly in Boston, and it can be found at digboston.com. And lastly, you can follow me on Twitter at mcastimovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. All right, I'm Andrew Johnson. You can find some of my writing at thekulachoveffects.com and also at the Film Geek Radio blog at filmgeekradio.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash writerandrew. So if you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know that you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll do it for this episode of Cinema Fix. Have fun this week getting high on cinema. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!